Hey everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will. And I'm Jess, the Dark Nerd. And back with us is our super nerdy guest, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, guys. Uh, she's back again to balance us out a little with a woman's point of view, because today we're having a very spoilery discussion about and review of Captain Marvel. So, spoiler alert, everyone, if you do not want spoilers for Captain Marvel, the movie... Get out of here! You're booted! Now, now's the time to... Now's the time to boot yourself. That's right. So why don't we start the spoiler discussion with what you were uh, getting into uh, a minute ago with the choices they made, uh, Jamie, on on writing this script. Right. So, you know, one thing that I think is, this is kind of generic, but you know when they make these superhero movies, right? They've got, like, Superman, and Superman's good, and then they do, maybe Superman's a bad example. They went Batman, and the first Batman was pretty good. Uh, it was really fun. Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton is great. And then they do a sequel, and you're like, oh, it's fine. They do a third one, like, that kind of blew. You know, maybe they do another good one in there. And then somewhere along the line, they interject Batgirl. And she either is a tertiary character or has her own really terrible movie. Right. So, (laughs) I don't know if you guys know this. And again, this is not because I read a bunch of Captain Marvel comics. I was a big Captain Marvel fan, but I dated a wannabe comic book artist. Had a bunch of comic book mm-hmm. knowledge, uh, so same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and same, um, same. same, same. So Captain Marvel is a man. Marvel is a man, uh, a male right. from Cree, and uh, Carol Danvers is a character, and she becomes Ms. Marvel. And so I liked mm-hmm. a the choice of uh, Marvel always being a female, even though we don't find that out until later in the film. Oh, yeah, um, Annette Benning. Mm-hmm. Yep, Annette Benning. And I also like the choice that they said, you know what, we're not going to do Captain Marvel and then do a, a bunch of sequels that are subpar, maybe have one decent one in there, and then do Ms. Marvel in about seven years. You know, it's a choice of like, you know what, we can, we can make a strong, we did it with Wonder Woman, we can make another strong female-led uh, comic book hero uh, oh, and we don't have right. to do so the... you're saying so you're saying it's great that they started with Captain Marvel as Carol Danvers yes not a male version of Marvel and then eventually come to Carol Danvers I think that's Correct. what you're saying that's the yep, okay. that's okay. exactly what I'm saying yeah. they let her they let Ms Marvel in the comics actually be Captain Marvel who is Carol Carol Danvers yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that that's great and you know that part of that comes from uh, the particular line of Captain Marvel uh, comics that they we're drawing more inspiration from, which is the Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, mm-hmm. line that I think started in 2012, where she officially took up the mantle right. of Captain Marvel. And interestingly, in the comics, she she started going by the name Captain Marvel because basically Captain America convinced her to do that. They were I actually read uh, that comic, and they were having it was like at the beginning of the issue, and uh, they were like talking at Avengers Tower. And, you know, Captain America mentioned it and said she ought to just go with that. And ultimately she did. So a lot of people are thinking that in Endgame, she's going to start going by Captain Marvel because, like, Cap is going to kind of pass the mantle of leadership onto her of the Avengers. But uh, hmm. but I don't know that for sure. That's just, that's just something that people are theorizing. But you're I, I not, did, You're not I in like on the writing of the, of the Endgame script? Just kidding. <laughs> no, I wasn't <laughs> in the writer's room when that happened with Marcus and McFeely. 
Yeah, one thing about Captain Marvel I never realized or knew, because like I said, I was never really into the character. Uh, I didn't know that there were multiple Captain Marvels. You know, like Batman is Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman is Clark Kent. I just thought Captain Marvel was Captain Marvel. I didn't know there was a whole line of oh, uh, different characters it, that step up and took on the role. There's a, there's a whole thing. Like, yeah, I forget what is it. It was started by Fawcett, like the comic uh, group Fawcett, and then it went over to Marvel, and Marvel just basically kept it going to keep the copyright. And the original Shazam, right. Shazam is just Captain Marvel was done called by Captain DC. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. they had, yeah, they. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting that it's been uh, passed around so much as well, and also interesting that they're going to make a Shazam movie. But I think that's closer yeah, to the to at the about or- the same time with Captain Marvel. Okay, so since we're start since we've started the spoiler discussion, I actually want to talk about Stan Lee for a second. Um, mm-hmm. Because first of all, when the you know the movie begins. And that that like the Marvel logo comes up instead of you know all the images yes. of the different heroes from the movies. It's all Stan Lee's cameos from the movies, and that 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 hit me with all the feels, man. I, I gotta say, right? You know, because yeah. this yeah, is that the was first. really good the way they did that. Yeah, it wasn't overdrawn or overblown or anything. It was real touching, and I think I heard someone say that like those scenes from the movies they took that cameo, like if you saw a scene from Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. in one of the flashes, they would take Stanley's cameo from Iron Man 2. Yeah, that's what they did. It was all of his cameos in all the and movies. It, they lined up with the original you know, sequence yeah. of characters. And I mean, since up. this was the first Marvel movie to come out since his, his passing, I mean, I thought that was a really nice way to honor him and everything you know that he contributed to, the, yeah. to Marvel. And, and then, so speaking of Stan Lee... Oh, and by the way, in the movie theater that I was in, like people were clapping. Oh, I bet. So, but then, of course, uh, his his cameo in the movie was when she was mm-hmm. uh, on the train looking for that scroll. Yep. Yep. And I thought that was a cool moment because he's sitting there reading the script for Mallrats, which yep. was like his first movie cameo. His first movie cameo. <laughs> it, was awesome. it was like 1995 or so, right? Yeah. So it's like they they worked in his first and last. Yeah. Unknowingly. And that was in the same scene. Yeah, it was great. And I know Kevin Smith got like real emotional about it because (laughs) when he found out that that was going to happen. And I did really like that little tiny smile that he and Carol exchanged like in that moment when she's looking at him. That was just cute. She's like, I know you. (laughs) It was cute. That that whole scene on the train and with the the chase scene with you know Fury like chasing the train in the car mm-hmm. that whole thing was inspired by the scene from the French Connection, which is basically oh, really? the exactly the same scene minus shape shifting aliens. Yeah. <laughs> but which and I thought was really blasts. interesting. Yeah, the the directors they did this uh, video for Vanity Fair where they did like a scene breakdown for that whole scene. It was just pretty interesting. Oh wow, that's hmm. cool. And about the, like, we were talking about all the different Captain Marvels in the comic books. There's basic, how many Captain Marvels are in this movie? You got Captain Marvel herself. You got Marvel. Marvel was also Captain Marvel. And Monica, Monica Rambo turned into Captain Marvel. You know, it's just so weird because uh, the Monica Rambo Captain Marvel was the first female Captain Marvel. And the first one to join with the Avengers. Well, she was the first woman and to use the name Captain Marvel, right? When she was, I believe. Yeah, she was the first female Captain Marvel. Yeah. 
and she also then joined the the Avengers. So I thought it was interesting how they worked that in using the current day iteration of Captain Marvel while kind of well, it's currently you know it's definitely possible that that character Monica Rambeau will come back because I mean if she was like ten in nineteen ninety five. Um, right. she's going to yeah. be an adult in the in the upcoming movies or you know her character will be at that time and she also went by some other names i think in the comics right she went by like photon, photon which yeah. se- seems you know so maybe they're setting up like new avengers or young avengers or something like that uh which and one oh go ahead that was the end of my sentence okay so <laughs> so um <laughs> no uh one thing i'm just scrolling by on uh IMDB going down through the cast list and it gets to Monica Rambeau who's played by Akira Akbar which is called back to Star Wars and anime together. It is. That's but pretty awesome. But it says Monica yeah. yeah, Monica Rambeau and in quotations 11 years old. Okay, 11. Interesting. So there we go. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't she Because there must be another out. Monica Rambeau at you know, 24 years old or something like that, that we obviously didn't see in this movie. Yeah. Well, and they what nod, some of they nod to IMDb it. Know? I would say they do nod to it toward the end of the film too. Or, you know, she's like, they do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. With yeah. her, with her mom's, her mom's, uh, fly name. Yeah. Or whatever. Her oh call yeah. Her sign. call sign was photon. Call sign. Yeah. yeah. That's photon. And then she's like, do you think I'll ever go to space like auntie? Yep. And she's like, mm-hmm. only if you learn to glow well, like auntie. And that's what photon does. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then even too, like an early scene when, the, when her mom's like, I don't know if I can take this mission. And she's like, what example are you setting for your daughter? You know? And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I that love was, that, that was good. Scene. I like that. Yeah. That scene was great yeah, put, because put she, place. when she's like breaking it down to Kara, she's like, all right, you want me to go into space in a craft that was not made to do that. And, clearly you know face some clearly technologically superior foes and yada 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 and carol's like yeah pretty much (laughs) and then (laughs) and then she's like well that's not that's why i'm not going and and the daughter said something like that's what i'm talking about that's why you gotta go yeah that was such a great little scene in fact lashana lynch played maria rambo right the the girl's mother yeah and my god she was good too yeah i mean this movie was so well cast in my opinion and I really think that, you know, we were talking about Brie Larson's acting and how some people didn't like it, but that I, I think all of us are agreeing that we we did like it and we thought it was really effective. I think that, so the moments when she's engaging with the Rambos and Lashana Lynch uh, in particular, those are the parts where her character really starts to open up, I thought. Like, especially that moment where she tells her, uh, you were the most powerful and badass woman I knew before you had power, or before you could shoot light out of your hands, right? Right. Yep. And then that was a moment where she was really struggling to hold herself together. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. She she got real emotional in that moment, which I really liked. I mean, what are some other uh, plot and story things from the movie that you guys really enjoyed or want to talk about? It's kind of funny because before I even watched the movie, I was listening to podcasts, and they did a full-on spoiler, you know, review like we're doing now, but Mm -hmm. I was listening to it at work, and I was kind of busy, so I didn't hear all of it, and I did hear this one part about, oh, so it turns out they were the good guys after all, and I'm like, oh, no, but when I went into the movie, when that part of the story came about and, you know, kind of the plot twist, I was like, oh, that was cool, I like that, you know, because I wasn't expecting it, 
Oh, right. Because I, I was okay. like, oh, yeah. these these scrawl guys, I mean, how can you fight these guys? They're a uh, whole, sh- you know, clan of shapeshifters. I that did like so- that. I did yep. like that. Because you come into a comic book movie, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the hero is supposedly fighting these green shape-shifting aliens that are notoriously huge villains in the comics, right? Yeah, the, defi- they're the definitive enemy. Yeah, and so, and then, twist... They yeah. are actually just trying to not die. <laughs> they're trying to avoid genocide, and they're basically refugees, mm-hmm. and this one guy's looking for his family. I loved that. I thought it added uh, a lot of depth to the story. And yeah. this actually ties in with something I really wanted to talk about. So I was watching a bunch of reviews uh, for this movie after I saw it, and there was a one reviewer on YouTube I watched that said something like, there's no defining moment for her. She didn't have like a big hero moment. There was no self-sacrifice, etc. But I have to vehemently disagree with that because right. So at the beginning of the movie, okay, she's a she's a good little soldier. She mm-hmm. doesn't really even use her powers because uh, Yon Rog, Jude Law's character, orders her not to. I mean, she does once during that fight w- with him in the beginning, right? But mm-hmm. other than that, she doesn't really use them until 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 later like when she's so after the supreme intelligence well it's it's when she's when she's working with the star force team she follows orders right she doesn't yep. use mm-hmm. that stuff she but then when she finally learns what the scrolls in the movie are after that in that twist Which, moment that you were talking about it was like right. no we just want to get our families back together and find a home where the Kree won't kill us all, basically, right? Yeah, she and that's decides, her defining moment. She, that is her defining moment. She decides to disobey orders and help them. And remember, she was a very good little soldier before this. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, she disobeys the Kree, who she thought were her people, and that makes her a traitor to them. And the whole Kree space Nazi empire, uh, if you want to think about it that way, that might be a bridge right. too far because uh, there are some good Kree, but I mean they're very—they seem very f- fascistic to me, mm-hmm. with the supreme intelligence being their supreme leader. And interestingly, so like it does. Do you remember when Coulson lets them go? Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. And then, like, well. as they're leaving, Fury says something to the effect that, like, she mentions she said something about Coulson, and mm. he replies, like, "I you guess he just went your... with his gut." Yep. He disobeyed orders, and that's really hard to do. Well, yeah, it is, and that's what she does later. She listens to her conscience. She listens to her gut. She has to disobey orders despite everything that she's been told because of what she's seeing with her own eyes in front of her. And in making this decision to help them find a home, right, she leaves behind not only her Cree identity and, you know, all of her connections there, but also her family on earth because let's face it the rambos are basically her family you know right yep that she's rediscovered after being away for six years after this you know accident Mm -hmm. that she was in and she leaves them to go help these people these refugees find a home so if that's not self-sacrifice if that's not heroic i don't know what is you know exactly Anyway, I, so I I yeah, disagree. She, she championed their cause, and I don't see how anyone could say that she didn't have any defining heroic moments. I mean, once she learned what was going on with that, that became 
you know, her drive, yeah. her motivation. It's like, I'm going to save you people. And, and yes, she's very, yes. very powerful. She obviously was able to stop all those missiles single-handedly mm-hmm. that came down from that dick, Ronin. Right. <laughs> Which I thought it was kind of cool that he was in the movie, though I would have liked him to do a little something more. Um, yes, she was super powerful, you know, and stuff, but that's not, like, that's not what really makes her a hero, it's the fact that she was able to overcome all these things to make a moral decision that make that right. made her a hero. That's yeah. that's what I think. Right. Yeah. yeah, she put you know these other people before herself. Yeah. What what are you what are your thoughts on that, Jamie? No, I agree. I agree with you. You know, I think too when we go back to her character story, I like that they give us moments of her life in flashes without beating us over the head with it. You know, like right. Mm-hmm. You know. And I really liked, so, you know, they do, the, they do the initial scene where, like, you know, she's, you see those interactions with her dad and you realize it's not good, you know? And you realize that mm-hmm. this, this, this person's had to struggle her entire life. And like you said, even, like, trying to build the career that she wanted as an Air Force pilot wasn't something she could do. She had to sneak around and she had to work on, like, these secret mm-hmm. operations and, quote, unquote, died and no one was allowed to know about it or know why. And then... Mm-hmm. Right. Fast forward as she's finding more, more and more about herself. I think they they reveal her strength as 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 a person, not as a hero. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they go mm-hmm. back to those those scenes later, you know what's going to happen. It's super, but they show her like, yeah, she gets shoved by her dad and she gets right back up, and she wrecks her bike and she gets yelled at and she just gets right back up. And this mm-hmm. is this is a character who she's constantly in a situation of adversity. And as she finds exactly. out, if she rediscovers who she is, because she doesn't know, and that's something she struggles with through the movie, is like, she even says that when she meets the Supreme Intelligence, like, who are you? Why do I picture you? I don't even know who you are, mm-hmm. you know? And and all of these things that are that are coming to be, that are being revealed to her, it's, it's not a movie about, here's my awesome superpower. It's a movie of self-discovery, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Th- yeah. And that's what Carol Danvers does. She finds out who she is, and then she makes the choice of who she's going to continue being. Yeah, I like how you brought up, you know, how she was, you know, against adversity and just kept getting right back up and getting right back up. And I like how you also mentioned how we didn't just get pummeled with, you know, her past and all that stuff. They just did in little bits and pieces and snippets. And I like how they didn't do that all at once either. They kind of gave you parts of it in the earlier in the movie and then... As the movie goes on, you see more and more, and then finally she stands up as Captain Yeah, I Marvel. like how that yeah. was... I really like how that was structured, because if you think about it, if it would have been a more traditionally structured origin story for her, I think it would have been kind of tedious. I agree. Yeah. Because we've seen that so many times, you know? And frankly, you know, one of her weaknesses, which is one of the more recent ones that's kind of been um, elucidated in the comics, is, you know, she... Uh, one of her vulnerabilities is her mind and her memory... And uh, I think we definitely saw that. And just kind of trailing on what both of you were saying, I really think that this is a movie about Carol learning to trust herself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. learning about who she is, and, and about what is the right thing to fight for. And if, you think, and if you think about it, if you really go into at least the better MCU movies— these hero moments really are when the character is making a moral decision like yeah. that. 
you know, and uh, sometimes that involves, you know, a Frisbee shield that you throw, and sometimes that involves a big, cool mech suit, and mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, maybe that involves something else. But or I think being that a raccoon part of it, or a tree or, or a cute little rabbit, right, right, right. Thor likes to call him, right. Yeah. But at the at the heart of it, you know, one I think one of the things that these Marvel movies have generally gotten right is that it always comes down to that decision from the hero character. Right. Or, you know, some type of decision like that. So I feel like, you know, maybe that's something that got overlooked in this movie for some reason uh, that I don't quite know. So he, so a couple other things. So first of all, uh, Talos, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Holy crap, that guy could go from deadly serious to comedy mm-hmm. in, like, a heartbeat. Oh, man. Yeah, the, like scenes, the scenes in, in Marie Rambo's house with him. Uh, when he first <laughs> were great. so great, so great, and like when you start understanding him as a character and the the plight of the scroll and stuff, they it's it's you know a, a sad moment because you feel terrible that this is actually what's happening, but also, and I think again this the 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 humor in this film was much more not that it was super subtle there, but it wasn't over the top, and they were able to keep some of that charm and those mm-hmm. sweet funny moments versus like side splitting constantly laughing moments and i think that's where i was saying we're like they were yeah. they gave it a heart and it wasn't just like a riot fest which i appreciated yeah i i agree and uh you know the other thing about ben mendelson's performances is, is that he walked this this like knife's edge of of i i don't even know what what word i'm looking for but basically if you look at his performance in the earlier parts of the movie before you know what his true like mission is before you know that he's really just looking for his family and and all of this stuff when you think he's still just the evil mastermind right Mm. it works his performance works both ways right like think about that scene in the in the morgue when his uh, his dead you know alien friend is is getting the the yes. autopsy, and he like goes down and he you know he's like saying a couple like parting words to his dead friend, and I thought that whole scene works either way because in a way if when you're thinking about the scroll as like the sinister you know shapeshifters that'll infil- that are infiltrating, it works on that end with how he's trying to. Like he tells Fury to go off and work by himself. Or like you had a good warrior's death kind of thing. Like you were doing, you were a good soldier kind of parting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then as you learn more about him, you're like, no, this was like a sincere moment from a a heartfelt being versus just like a hardened, cold, evil villain. Yeah. 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 He's he, he was just so good. And did you catch the Pulp Fiction reference in the the scenes in the Rambo house there? No. <laughs> when he comes in and he's drinking the milkshake, that's the exact milkshake cup from <laughs> Pulp Fiction that Samuel L. Jackson was from, drinking. In from that the scene. big Kahuna burger? Yes. That, I did not recognize that. I did that. not notice that's that. That's the exact one. That's amazing. I saw uh, Todd McFarlane, you know, the comic book artist mm-hmm. that... Spawn creator. Spawn creator and started on Spider-Man and stuff. He uh, put it on his Instagram. Uh, he went and got a uh, Nick Fury toy from the store and got some black modeling clay and put the hair on it like <laughs> Sam Jackson from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. <laughs> That's great. Todd McFarlane's pretty good. 
Yes, I I thought that was funny. So uh, speaking of 90s references, I thought it was fun when she was in like the internet cafe and like her modem gets disconnected and she has to use the paper maps. Right. And then like one of the funniest jokes for me in the movie was when they're loading up the black box onto like Windows 95. (laughs) (laughs) What's it doing? They're waiting, loading, and then it shows the scroll guy going, oh, and like rolling his eyes. Yeah. It's just hilarious. It's pretty funny. funny. They did a good job. Yeah, I even like the little things in the blockbuster, you know, where she comes crashing down and there's like the the total recall cardboard. And she cutout. stops and looks at the yeah, right stuff. Yeah, she looks stuff. at the right stuff. Yeah. She busts she... through the, the, the true lies cardboard poster thing that's setting up there. Right. Like it mm-hmm. was shoots Arnold. Yeah. That was great. I mean, Blockbuster is so nineties. I mean, <laughs> that was like the perfect place for her to crash into, honestly. It really was. And it, it's a little bit symbolic because like if you look at her when she gets up and amidst the rubble, she's standing in the action section. So she's kind of turning the action movie stuff on its head yeah. into an in, action in a way. scene. Yeah. Okay, so what were some of the other... What did you think about the soundtrack? I loved it. I mean, I, you know, growing up in the 90s, you know, I thought, I thought it was awesome. I love that they're playing Nirvana when she has her revelation about who the Supreme Intelligence is. That was great. Yeah, yeah. that was that was I thought that that song was really well used yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my daughter are. my daughter freaked out cuz she's going through uh her Nirvana phase which we all do. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm glad your daughter even is happy. I know, Nirvana right? Phase. Oh yeah. It's Good parenting age. right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had uh, some garbage in there with some Shirley Manson. Oh, yeah. I, lo- I loved Elastica. Mm-hmm. I loved, yeah, the REM. It was right. so good. Yeah. It, it really was. So, okay, so here's a question I have about one of the songs, okay? Because I thought the I'm Just a Girl song, which they played during that one action mm-hmm. sequence yep. where she's fighting the Star Force to protect the lunchbox, yep. right? So, okay, so I really like that song. Always have. But I thought that it was, a, like, maybe a little too on the nose. I felt the same thing. Uh, maybe. Yep. Uh, you know, that was the one moment of the movie where I thought, well, maybe they're beating me on the head a little too hard with the message. Yeah. Maybe. I enjoyed the fight sequence. I thought that the song had the right tone for that fight sequence. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, it was kind of up and, you know, a little bit snarky and happy and, and ironic. But... Just, I thought maybe that song was a little too on the yeah. nose there. <laughs> well, in that, in that the, the problem of the movie. I had, I, I don't know. Well, what do you the think? problem that I had with it, and again, this is kind of nitpicking, but none of the criticism. I mean, granted, yeah, female in the air force, in the air force, that that was a hard one. But like for her, but the things holding her back uh, before she knew she was human, and her issues with the Cree, you know, they didn't. They have female warriors. They have male warriors. Like, none of this was because she was female. Mm-hmm. They were never like, you're not strong enough because you're right. a woman. And that's where I felt like, yet yeah, to your point, the tone and the poppiness of the song, uh, I felt was appropriate. But lyrically, I'm with you. It was a little, I don't even know if it was too on the nose. I felt like it just kind of, that one kind of missed the mark if they're trying to make commentary, you know? Because it wasn't, none of this was about her being less than because she was a woman. No one was saying, you're not, you can't be a superhero because you're a female. I mean, I I think there were definitely some feminist themes in the movie, which I'm all for, okay? Mm -hmm. And there was was like that moment with the biker guy where he was like, just give me a smile, blah, blah, blah. I'm a dickhead. And there was like some of that in the movie. And there was obviously in her flashbacks to when she was in the Air Force going through boot camp and like all those other things. That was kind of where they were hitting on that, you know, those those feminist themes. And I thought that that was for the most part, you know, pretty well done. And 
God, it is amazing, though, to see all the reviews of, like, people being so butthurt about the feminist stuff in it, when, to me, it wasn't even that... They weren't hitting that message too hard, I don't think, with possibly the exception of the use of that song, the No Doubt song. I agree. I mean, it's, you know... But otherwise, I didn't really see it. They didn't rewrite history. You know what I mean? Like, it was at a time when there weren't any (laughs) female pilots in the Air Force. So I don't know... Mm -hmm. I didn't really take that as a feminist agenda as much as that's just how things were you know <laughs> so uh yeah you know you know it was accurate and that's where i tend to like get hung up on things where it's like well i'm offended it's like but that that's what happened though you what? know you're i get it yeah. i don't like things that <laughs> but happened that's in, what happened yeah, i don't like things that historically have happened as well but that's how it was so if i'm going it to set it 30 years yeah, ago and if i'm gonna set a film mm-hmm. or a story or something like that in a time period then it should also represent how that how it was during that time, not an idealized version of how I think it should have been, you know. Um, and, yeah. and that's where I, so I really didn't take that as much as feminist agenda, as much as it was taking place in a certain time period, and that's how things were during that time period. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, maybe we can take this moment to talk really quick about the so-called controversy with Brie Larson's comments. And I don't know if you even know what those are, Jamie, because you said you weren't like reading up on this stuff. Yeah, I have no idea. But basically, she was at, she was at like a press junket for the movie, okay? And she noticed that everybody or almost every single person in the room, all the journalists, were white guys, Mm -hmm. okay? And there's nothing inherently wrong about being a white guy or a black guy or a purple guy or whatever guy or whatever, right? But she made some comment like, you know, I'd really be interested to see the point of view of, you know, some, like a black woman or, you know, women or other people. And a lot of people took that, some people online, I should say, took that out of context, some of them probably on purpose, mm-hmm. in my opinion, yeah. and just ran with it and said, oh, Brie Larson hates white guys and she's going to be the ruin of the MCU. And honestly, like, <laughs> when I went into my YouTube like a month ago or whenever this was happening, for some reason, I was getting all of these videos suggested that were like all this trashing Brie Larson and how she was going to ruin the movie and the whole MCU. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Yeah. And so then, you know, after this was going on for a little while, she spoke up and I'm going to read really quick uh, what she actually said. Okay. Uh, She just made a couple brief comments in response to it which i think clarified and kind of put everything into context so she just she said what i'm looking for is to bring more seats up to the table no one is getting their chair taken away there's not less seats at the table there's just more seats at the table right and she explained it just a little bit further about a year ago i started paying attention to what my press days looked like and the critics reviewing movies and noticed it appeared to be overwhelmingly white male so i spot i spoke to dr stacy smith at the usc annenberg inclusion initiative who put together a study to confirm that moving forward i decided to make sure my press days were more inclusive after speaking with you the film critic valerie complex and a few other women of color it sounded like across the board they weren't getting the same opportunities as others When I talked to the facilities that weren't providing it, they all had different excuses. So basically, this is just her saying, hey, why don't we bring in a more diverse, you know, press corps to cover these movies that are being made with much more representation than I'm seeing in the press, right? right?" So that's, that's really what it all boils down to. And I couldn't agree more with Brie Larson on this. And I think that 
it just got blown out of proportion with so many clickbaity, you know, headlines and things online, and that's kind of where it all came from. Yeah, and you get all these SJWs, the social social justice warriors, will find any little thing and go off about. Like a uh, little further controversy with her is the. It- uh, we're talking about outrage culture, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what we're talking about, and it gets clicks. Okay, that's yeah. that's really I think what's driving it. And I don't want to spend like a lot more time talking about this unless you guys have some more substantive comments. But I just thought we might as well touch on it since it seems to have been a big part of the conversation about this movie. And you know what? I actually went in and watched some of these type of reviews, and I could not believe some of the stuff that I was hearing in it. Oh, um, yeah, they call her, she's trash as a person. It's like, well, uh, there on. was even one, there was even one video on a YouTube channel that I really love, by the way. I'm not going to mention what it is, but, but the guy on this YouTube channel is a specialist in like a certain field and he makes really interesting, really cool videos that I love watching. Okay. But he had a lot of awful things to say about this movie. And again, if he, he doesn't like the movie, that's fine. I don't think that necessarily makes you, you know, sexist or something if you don't like any given movie. But a lot of the stuff he said, I really, really super disagreed with. And one of the, so one of the things he mentioned, and this was mentioned by a lot of people online, was that, oh, well, because this, uh, this movie is geared so much towards, you know, women and girls, you're not going to get most of the audience that normally shows up for a comic book movie because those people are normally like guys and young guys. Are we done with and that this conversation? movie is going to tank. Well, like, literally, I, I, we should okay, be. Like, look, at, look at how much money this <laughs> film has made. Now, I'm a woman, and I like comics and video games and all those nerdy things, but also, clearly, it's not suddenly there are all of these women who weren't going to the other comic book movies. It's still the same. Yeah, it's group not like you like Batman less because it's a man. Right. You. It's not. Yeah. It's not like we had a billion. We we had uh, seven hundred and fifty million men and two hundred fifty thousand women to do a billion at a box office, and then this movie comes out and suddenly it's a hundred percent reversed. It's the same people, and I, right. I'm just so sick of that conversation of like, well, mm-hmm. it's too woman centric. Me too. Or cl- haven't we proven that that's wrong now? That this movie wouldn't have been made if they didn't feel that a strong female-led cast, female-led story, strong female character could make money. They wouldn't do it because they historically Definitely didn't true. do it. That's why in superhero films, te- technically, you only got Batgirl somewhere around the fourth or fifth sequel, and she never got her own movie, and she yeah. had a terrible storyline, right? That's why for a long time right. it was yeah. Ms. Marvel, yeah. and Ms. Marvel was only technically out for two years, and they only kind of kept it going to keep copyrights or some crazy thing like that. It, it did terribly. So I think if yeah. you look at where the movies are trending, it is toward... As long as it's a good story, it's a good story. Having a female lead or an exactly. Asian lead right. or an African-American lead doesn't mean it's going to be less. If it's a good story, people will go. And the proof is in the pudding, yeah. right? Like, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> this movie has already made over $910 million, and that is going to go over a billion easy yeah. right? At, at this point. I mean, it's only been out for a couple weeks, yeah. right? It's only been out for, like, Two weeks, two and a half weeks, yeah, three March weeks. 6th, yeah, March 6th, March 8th, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, March 8th. Okay, so it's been like three weeks. This would be the third weekend, and it's already made almost a billion dollars. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can be done with this conversation. <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up because I found it to be yeah. so ridiculous. I, I'm with you. So I, when I said be done with the conversation, I didn't mean you in general. I just meant 
I didn't mean this conversation right here in general. I just, As a society. Yes, yes that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse, an, what uh, were you going to say? Another thing, too, is uh, now, um, this is post-Captain Marvel, but uh, there's a huge reaction to the Endgame, Avengers Endgame trailer, because she's wearing makeup. And everyone's <laughs> oh, like, oh, that, that is so... You know, she's Captain... And I guess there's... In the comics, she's she doesn't wear makeup. She's against makeup or something. So now all the uh, fanboys are upset over. because you know she's wearing makeup and you know, yeah, whatever. Oh my <laughs> I I have no yeah, comment. On I just that. think that's I have stupid. no comment. Now, like we mentioned this on our last podcast concerning Alita Battle Angel, it is also a female led role, you know, led story, but Rosa Salazar who played Alita, didn't get any of this controversy. Why Why is it that certain movies get all this Well, she also versus... didn't say, I want to hear opinions other than white guys' opinions. And that didn't get blown out of proportion because she didn't right. say it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's basically it. Plus, plus, okay, I believe that part of the marketing for Captain Marvel was first Marvel superheroine, you know, women-led right. movie. Yeah. And blah, and so anytime people say like the woman's going to be the lead or the main character, inevitably there are people online that just flip out right. because they can't handle it. And I understand right? it's part of you know the whole cadre of movies where there hasn't been a female yet, but then there's let's just say you have a one-off, maybe not a superhero movie, maybe another another genre where there's a strong female lead, and no one like. Well, Blows it out of proportion the other way, you know. It's right. like, oh, it's, no. Well, it's here, take, take it this like sometimes, sometimes not. Like, look at one of the first shows that I was conscious of doing something like that was Battlestar Galactica, where they made the choice to make Starbuck a badass woman and deviate from the original, where Starbuck was their hot shot male maverick pilot. And as far as I know, well, I don't know if there were too many fanboys of the original Battlestar Galactica left, <laughs> but that aside. Uh, it was good enough to inspire this, and I don't remember outrage for you know Kara Thrace and Starbuck as a strong female. I don't remember that. I don't yeah. remember that either. You know, so I I really think that there are people waiting in the wings to take comments out of context, yeah. right. like they did with Brie Larson. And the other thing about Brie Larson is, you know, she's very vocal about uh, issues and and political things that she believes in okay so that makes her an easy target too yeah right so i think that 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 plays into it, it but i'm tired of it frankly i'm i'm tired of the, the non-controversy culture fake outrage yeah so anyways moving on <laughs> uh i just want to talk about a couple more spoilers uh and things that i really loved in the movie so first of all the cat <laughs> oh that was Frickens. great goose <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the moment when it first opens up because right. Fury's like, "I ain't touching that thing," and then it just like, like Cthulhu, yeah. and it swallows it. Yeah, and then in uh, in Maria Rambo's house, uh, when Talos walks in and sees the cat, he's like, "Oh!" and jumping away from it. <laughs> oh yeah, that was great. You know, because it hadn't been revealed right. yet. And then there's like the moment when the Kree have captured them and they like scan the cat and there's like Flurkin, very dangerous. And they put like the the, the muzzle right. on it <laughs> and yeah. Fury's like, uh, it's a cat, not I Hannibal I love that Lecter. line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they scan him and it's like human male, threat low. Yeah, very low. 
insignificant. And so the 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 final post credit scene, by the way, where it like hacks up the hairball, but it's the right. Tesseract. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> For like, because I've had cats, right? Oh, yeah. If you've uh, ever had a cat before, as soon as the cat jumps up on that desk and makes its first like throat, you know, motion, you know, you know what's, gonna... what's gonna happen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, and it had like the Groot moment where it like they're running through the ship and she runs out of bullets and they're about to be screwed, and then suddenly the tentacles come right. out and it like <laughs> eats throws all everyone all over the place. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I did like the cat, and and for, and and a lot, and many times that cat was totally VFX. Right. Oh, wow. By the way, uh, I, I thought it was funny when they were when they entered zero gravity, flying through space. Oh, that was so see cute. the cat floating around. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that was good. And I thought, you know, I thought Fury had such a connection with that cat. <laughs> he was so funny the way he was talking, you know, cutesy talking to the cat. Right. And also something that I that I uh, that I loved was that moment near the end where she's facing off with uh, Jude Law, Yon Rog, and he's like, "This is your moment when you can finally, you know, beat me fair as yourself." And then she just shoots him, right? And he I goes flying. That. And that really reminded me of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana Jones uh, faces that guy wielding the swords, and he's just like, eh, and he shoots him. <laughs> That was a great. I don't know if that like it's that has to be like a like an actual callback to that movie. Yeah, I'm not but sure. I really love that part. I like uh, this. There were there uh, in the Rambo's house, and she's like quote about I'm gonna put my foot where it doesn't belong, you know. Yes. And oh, and he's like, like, am I supposed to guess what that is? To guess. <laughs> and all three yes. of them, your ass. <laughs> I even like yeah. like uh, his scientist guy. And like he's like you're you're my best scientist. You couldn't figure that was an orbit. And then like your best <laughs> right. science guy has a lisp. <laughs> right. You're my science guy. Is that so hard? In, In orbit. orbit. Yeah. <laughs> and the humans are there with their '90s technology. Like it's just basic. Yeah, physics. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. I thought those scrolls when when they finally got to that point of the movie, they were so yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scrolls. Yeah. You know. But at the same time, you know, Ben Mendelsohn still had that gravitas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because like. You know, there's all the joke parts. And then when he runs into his family on the ship, he's not even looking at the Tesseract. Right. right? He don't give a shit because there's his wife and his child that he hasn't seen in years, right, that he's finally reuniting with. And then he has that conversation with Carol where he's like, you know, this is war. Both of our hands are filthy from it. You know, none of us are innocent, but, you know, you, you helped me find my family, so we're good. I mean, that was I think that was basically the conversation yeah. they had. And I thought that was a really affecting moment, yeah. you know, really that well, whole scene. Well, and I like the little, the little interaction uh, later when they're back at, at the Lambo house. And it's just, it's the two little kids playing together. It's it's Monique, Monica, right? Oh, God, what am I? Oh, yeah. That, that, was, was, very, that was nice. That was very nice. And I have to say that, so this whole movie to me does really well what sci-fi does sci-fi's purpose you know in a literary sense is to address things in our society but to use the trappings of sci-fi to allow us to take a step back and look at it a little more objectively without all the baggage you know that, that we might have politically or ideologically or or whatever it is and just the idea that she was, you know, uh, a hardcore soldier 
obedient to this to this you know the Cree Empire's ideology and very much fighting their enemies and then when she actually finds out a little bit more about these these people who have been demonized by the supreme intelligence she realizes that they're not just green you know evil shapeshifters they're mm-hmm. people right. <laughs> who have real problems that and, and that they have in at least in some sense been unfairly uh treated by the Cree, right. right and so that I mean, come on. There's been so much uh, in the the public consciousness and in the news about refugees mm-hmm. and, and things lately. And I don't necessarily want to get in like a big big political discussion, but I like when science fiction makes us think about those type of hot button issues because I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't think about right. it that much. Right. They offer, and like, like you said, they're people too. And with the refugees in the real world, people don't look at them that way. You know, so the movies right. Well, help. you know, most people just watch their chosen news source mm-hmm. and figure, well, that's probably, you know, at least close to what's right. And they don't think very much more of it. When a lot of these things in society, you know, maybe you should kind of think about it for a minute and try it. I think it's always good to try and see the other person's point of view. Right. That's actually something that Marcus Aurelius wrote about in his reflections or, God, I can't remember what his, his book is called. But, you know, he's one of those rare people in history who had both great power and great wisdom. He was one of the mm-hmm. Roman emperors, right? right? And he was actually a very thoughtful guy who was always trying to do the right thing uh, and had a lot of, you know, things to write down about that. So did anyways... Just, did you just do a callback there with do the right thing and do the right... Sorry, was that your... <laughs> Sorry. But I'm ching. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I just like uh, I just like it when science fiction actually does right. that. And to be honest, now now I have talked to people who did not like that parallel because they felt that it was the movie getting too political. But in my opinion, that is what science fiction mm-hmm. is for. Well, even art itself, you know, reflects and art itself, yeah. And so that's what science fiction is for. And I think that if you had this movie and it followed a much more you know, standard, like, narrative without that twist, or it, you know, didn't include those type of topical things, I, I think that it would have been a worse movie for it. It definitely would have been a worse piece of science fiction for it. I mean, think back to the original Star Trek, mm-hmm. right? There was an episode where there was, like, a couple aliens came on board, and one of them was black and white, and the other one was white and black. Right. Their faces were separated, like, into white and black, but they're on opposite sides, and they were basically trying to kill each other the whole episode but the crew of the enterprise was like what's what's, what's the problem, problem here you, you guys You're are both basically same thing, yeah. the same <laughs> and that was kind of controversial in the yeah. 60s yep right so i you know that's just an, a, an one easy example of like how science fiction can kind of address this stuff and allow us to take a step back and my point is i like that captain marvel did that i think it was a good use of of that you know, science fiction yeah. trope. To well, do I so. also think too, just from a, even a, a less intellectual look at it, had the the scroll just been the evil shapeshifters, the plot would have lost some substance because, yep, that's the way it is. We introduce the good guy in the beginning and the bad guy mm-hmm. at the end, and you know who everybody is all along the way. And I think it made the movie more right. interesting yeah. to switch it. Um, and it's not what you right. think. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, and then everybody would have been complaining that it's, oh, another one-dimensional yep. Marvel villain, yep. yeah. right? 
So Yawn. Uh, speaking of the villains, guys. what did we think of uh, the Cree and Jude Law and all the other guys? I mean, I thought Jude yeah. Law was great. Yeah. I thought that, as always, he gave a very nuanced performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jude Law lately has been playing, like, the guy who is set up to be the good guy, but then you realize he's the bad right. guy. Like, it seems like he's done that quite a few times <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> um, so maybe in that sense, you know, he was he was well cast for this role. But I think he did a great job because in the beginning— there's that scene where he's he's like sparring with with Carol or Veers right. right before she knows her name is Carol, and I really did get the impression that he w- cared about her and he was trying to help her and he was on some level her friend even though he was her commanding officer. Did you guys get yeah. that same feeling? Yeah, from I was going to make the, the same comment mm-hmm. about him that you did with um, uh, Ben Mendelsohn of like his character is is so nuanced that when you go back and you rewatch it and you know the ending. You're like, holy crap, this has a whole different meaning now that I know what's going on. You know, Uh, maybe he didn't know how strong she was necessarily going into that, but it became more about um, we need to control her versus teaching her how to control herself is what it is, what it felt like once you know the answers to everything. And I think if you take those two situations of, you know, you brought up when Ben Mendelsohn's talking in the morgue to his friend, in the beginning, it feels more sinister and then we know the outcome it's actually a sweet moment and and it's mm-hmm. the exact reverse for Jude Law's character and I think both of those actors did a great job with that type of dialogue because it works either way right yeah I, I yeah I agree um, I like the end of the uh, arc between Captain Marvel and uh, Yon Rog when they're in the desert and there it's a final showdown and he realizes you know okay now she's super powerful and I'm going to try and trick her mm-hmm. into a uh, fisticuffs, mm-hmm. you know. And she's like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> and just blast him. Because, you know, he was going to just get close to her and then try a little something sneaky. Yep. That's what I was expecting to happen. And she's just like, yep. nope. And then she comes up to him and she says, I don't have anything. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that, that was, was just further and that development was a of big her character. Moment. Yeah. yeah, that was a big moment in her character arc yeah. um, to me. So, so here I got I got to ask because we have our distinguished <laughs> guest on for you know for the woman's perspective, and I really want to know like as a woman like how did you feel about seeing basically one of the only movies that's headlined by a female superhero? I mean, I'm really interested in in how in what this feels like. So, you know that uh, me and my wife have a, a yep. baby on the way that's going to be born this summer, and it's and we know that it's going to be a girl. Yep. And so this has gotten me thinking about these things because when I look at my movie collection, I was like, yeah, there aren't a whole lot of women superheroes mm-hmm. for her to like look up to and, and other role models in, in film like that. I mean, there are some, certainly, but at least in the superhero yeah. genre, there's been Wonder well, Woman I, and this. And I think that's about yeah, it. Yeah, I think in a, in a movie role, but I think that's why women of my age also really strongly love and follow Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Like, Buffy was a badass, and it, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And she was, she was, uh, she had a couple of badass friends, or friends that became badasses in their own right, and one of those major players was Willow, who was her best friend, and the guy on the side was Xander, you know? And mm. Buffy was full of incredibly strong women characters, and it wasn't a big deal that they were women, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what mm. I... What I've liked about Captain Marvel and what I liked about Wonder Woman is that the way they're written, there is no like, oh my God, you're a woman doing this. It's 
presented as like, yep, I can do this. And it's every day. You know what I mean? And, and, and she, and she, and that person just yes. happens to be a woman. Yeah. Right? That person that just happens saying? to be a woman. And to your point, a lot of film is male heavy, male dominated women. Are, I think they actually break this up in, is it in bridesmaids or just talking about Maybe I was talking to a friend about bridesmaids, but it's like women have certain jobs they're allowed to have in movies. Bakers, you know, like independent hobbyists. Mm. They could be like bakers, scrapbookers, a doctor or lawyer. Like, but you don't, you don't get to be Moms. a lead in anything, right? You've got like these four or five jobs that women were allowed to have in, in film and television. And I feel like that shifting and, you know, as your daughter growing up, hopefully for her, this isn't even a conversation. It's just, this is... It, it, you're not looking at it saying, is it a yeah. male lead? Is it a female lead? Who's the strong character? Can we pivot? Can this make money? Because it's got a, a, a woman leading the role or it's got, you know, a, a Hispanic woman leading the role. It's just going to be a good right. movie, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you know, I think that's where we're trending. And, mm-hmm. you know, y- you are very conscious of these things. I, and I know your wife is. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yes. I, and I... You know, I think you guys kind of set the tone, though, you know, and, and it, because we have these things, it's not going to be a big deal in terms of like her growing up and being like, I can be a superhero, too. I don't I don't have to be Superman. I could be Captain Marvel. I could be Wonder Woman. She's yeah. going to have more options, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I'm not I, I don't find compelling at all these arguments that, uh, that there have been criticisms of like, oh, she's too powerful and like. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why didn't you explain or give it a better, you know, reason for powers? And I'm like, because all of the male superheroes have magical powers yeah, that yeah. make sense. None of those yeah, exactly. make sense either. No. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just don't find that to be a compelling yeah. argument. Yeah, and I, I've seen... I can't really think of any examples off the top of my head, but I, there's other movies where it's like remake or something of an older movie but the lead's gonna be female or a specific character is gonna be a female and there's always people going do you think a woman can play that role it's like yeah, yeah if you have a good actor exactly and, what acting is yeah. you know if you have a good actor and your script's not garbage it's gonna be good like that's, let's uh, just look at it that way you know yeah it's like, could a woman write a scary book like Stephen King? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Of course. And I'm all for it. You know, so, I like see more of it. I am really looking forward to more uh, women in film in general, of course. But since we seem to be getting a lot of superhero movies, I definitely like would like to see more of, you know, more women headlining those movies uh, for right. sure. In fact, you know, somebody had brought up Maybe it was like on Twitter where they ask Scarlett Johansson or, you know, one of the actresses for like, you know, Zoe Saldana or somebody, if Marvel could ever have a, uh, like a female team up film, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like Captain Marvel and Black Widow and Gamora and Mantis and Scarlet Witch and I'm probably forgetting a few other characters, but like that kind of thing, right? And I would so watch that movie. Fox Force uh, Five. I would watch. Fox Force I would watch five. the heck out of that movie. <laughs> yeah, Fox Force Five. <laughs> but I really would, and I, I, you know, there have been all these rumors about a Black Widow movie that they want to put together, and I feel like that might be a really cool opportunity to have that kind of ensemble movie with Black Widow sort of leading the story side of it, where she's, you know, the more central character. Right. 
I don't know that that's what they would do, but I think that that would be really cool. Well, she's going to have to survive at the hands of Thanos first. <laughs> right, right. So on that note, can we talk about the post-credit, or the mid-credit scene for Captain Marvel, and then sort of how that might connect into Endgame a little bit? So first, the post-credit scene. So the post-credit scene was, or the mid-credit scene, was where Nick Fury's pager is there, his, you know, amped up pager that she gave him, and it's like stops broadcasting, and, you know, they're there like, well, it, it stopped broadcasting, we don't even know what it does, and Cap is like, well, it was important to Fury, so get it going again, and then Black Widow turns around, and boom, there's Captain Marvel, and she's like, where's Fury, right? So I thought that was that was kind of cool. What did what did you guys think about that mid credit scene? I, I mean I thought it I thought it was good. It's more of a you know with his writing his uh, his debrief at the end and he changes his um, his project name from Protection Project to the Avengers Project after he sees her the name of her plane. Right. Oh right. Yeah, her, her call, call sign. Yeah. That's right. I and love that. That was really I cute. You know, and I technically she's the first Avenger if you're. Uh, you know, getting real little right, about Right, that's what I was going to say now. Doesn't that make her the first? Isn't she the first Avenger? Well, she was the first one to be right. called Avenger, but Captain America was around during World War II. Time frame. Well, yeah, and his movie was called the first Avenger. He just wasn't right. called an Avenger. So, but, right? uh, you know... Uh, so if, go ahead, Jesse. No, I, I was just going to say, you guys nailed it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> why I kind of took it that way. Right. It was like, she's... She's kind of an ace, an ace up the sleeve that Nick Fury had that none of them did, you know? I, it'll be interesting to see. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, you know what? There's been a lot of conversation in the fandom about, like, well, why did he never call her before? Yeah. And, like, this and that and the other. Well, I, you know, my reading, my read on that is because, well, he had a bunch of other super people uh, to handle it. And she did tell him only for emergencies. Yeah. And... I, there was that great moment where they like block off the door when they're running from the scrolls in that shield facility, and she and she holds out her hand, and he's like, "What? Uh, your pager? Because obviously you can't yep. be trusted." Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and so you know that in the back of his mind somewhere, he's like, "Well, if I push this button and it's not a really big emergency, I'm gonna ha- I'm never yeah. gonna hear." Well, and also I, yeah. I look at it at this way too, and this is me just reading into things, but uh, isn't that what a podcast is about? Is our opinion so. You know, she's she's she spent most of her life that she remembered in this film fighting for the wrong side. And my takeaway is like maybe she just wants to be like, I decide uh, unless it's a true emergency and I trust you, I don't want to be beholden to to you mm-hmm. or this race or anybody else. I want to make right. my own decision now and sort of the judgment for myself on if it's needed. Yeah. There's also a rumor that when this exact question comes up in Avengers Endgame that basically her response is well not all planets out there have a huge group of superheroes mm-hmm. to defend it right so i was out there working on behalf of those people that don't have people to defend them mm-hmm. so it, it whether that's in the new avengers movie or not i think that that's probably yeah. really accurate yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> really that's one thing good point. one thing i just thought of it's like with the snapping you know, it's gonna affect where she's at too, right? Yeah. It's it's all oh, all, yeah. of, oh, absolutely. all of existence. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, just caught. I just caught. So are, are we that. gonna are we gonna see you know a little bit of <laughs> you know the snapping happening 
Yeah. <laughs> when the snapping happens, where she's out. So I, I think the answer to that is no, because the movie already mm. has a lot of stuff to do uh, with a lot of characters without going to the other side of the galaxy, wherever Carol's been for 30 years. Uh, <laughs> I don't think three hours is going to be enough. And we've already established that the snapping has happened, so uh, so I don't think we need to necessarily establish it again. Although, from that one trailer, I would not be surprised uh, if we do, because it showed, uh, it seemed to show uh, Clint Barton Hawkeye with his family, uh, Uh and there's no way every single one of them survived the snap. So I have a feeling that the very first scene (laughs) in Avengers Endgame is going to be Hawkeye losing his family. Right. Tearjerker. So on that happy note, uh, that is all the time we have for today. Um, Now, we're recording this at the end of March, and we are still planning the episodes for April, but uh, we have more of our talk with our super nerd friend, Jamie, about the trailers for Endgame, and we even discuss uh, some theories we have for Endgame. So we'll probably do an Avengers Endgame theories episode uh, in April, and we're definitely going to do a non-spoiler review and spoiler review for Avengers Endgame at the end of April. Mm -hmm. And the plan is to get that up over the weekend that it's released so that, you know, it'll be there for anybody that wants to maybe listen to it uh, before they go see the movie. Um, So, okay. (laughs) So thank you, Jamie, so much for coming on to this, uh, our little podcast and chatting with us about Captain Marvel and Avengers and everything else. That was really, that was really fun. You are our very first guest. Great. So she's our very first guest, and I'm sure she'll be back as a returning guest. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, definitely. Guys, uh, and you know, uh, Jamie had mentioned to me before, Jamie, you had that idea about us doing like a Twitch stream one time. Yeah, yeah, so we could all I just. I think we should uh, take play, that up. Play some Destiny while we play a video, or play Destiny. Yes, obviously, when we're playing video games, play Destiny <laughs> while we talk about comic, <laughs> talk about movies. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, meet so me in tower, I'm, and we'll I'm decide if we want to go that. meet some or go play some games. <laughs> I <love> it. <laughs> exactly. So that that's great. So I this has been a cool conversation. I can't wait uh, to put it all together and uh, have the final version up online. So again, thank you, and thanks to thanks to our listeners. If you're listening to this, we really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time listening to us babble and rant about uh, Captain Marvel and uh, and Avengers. And uh, this is Mecha Dragon signing off. Adios, Poindexters. Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.